0: Welcome to Meet the Developers at the Apple Store, Regent Street, in London. Would you please welcome our guest moderator this evening from Pocket Gamer, John Jordan?
1: Thank you very much. So yes, my name's John Jordan. I'm the uh, editor at large at a website called Pocket Gamer. But it's not about me tonight. I guess we have two spare seats here, so um, it's about Meet the Developers. Big round of applause. These are the guys who uh, make Angry Birds. So it's Yami and Mika. Hello. Hi everyone. So, it's pretty, pretty kind of simple kind of setup um, today. We're gonna talk um, for about twenty minutes. You guys are gonna kind of uh, show your latest product, and uh, we'll find out a bit more about the game and a bit more about Rovio. And we'll have time for questions. Obviously, I'm sure you guys have lots of questions. So, um, do we want to kick it off with the trailer? Is that what we're gonna go for? Yep. Yeah, okay. So, this is Angry Birds Go, which is uh, live now on five app stores around the world. <laughs> oh
2: oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <coughs> oh. <laughs> <gasps>
1: Looking good. So actually, before we start, I realize I should probably like, formally introduce you, because you don't like kinda, two Finnish guys wearing Angry Birds kind of jackets. So, um, we look pretty much the <laughs> same, right? <laughs> no, you don't look the same, but your jacket. So, um, so this is Yami Lais, who's, uh, who's the Executive Vice President of Games. Sounds important. Do you want to quickly say what, what actually you do as a, as a job?
3: Well, I play games and build games all day. No, actually, I don't. I mean, it's these guys who actually build the games. But, you know, all the games business at Rovio um, reports to me. So everything from our um, internal games and Rovio Star's published games as well, um, is what I
1: work on. And then over here on the other side, we've got Mika Arakov, And you're the executive producer of Angry Birds Go. That's your title at the moment, at least.
0: Yeah, that's right. So um, I have, like, a creative uh, responsibility over the game. And I work as, like, a hub um, Above the game, communicating with different departments at Rovio and like making sure that everyone is aligned and now has the latest information about where we are.
1: Okay. So I think a bit later on we'll we'll talk maybe a bit about kind of what Rovio's up to and what kind of what a games company does these days. Because I mean you're actually not a games company; you're an entertainment company. I should get that right. It's a bit different, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's right. I mean we're not only about games anymore, of course. Uh, what started, you know, exactly four
3: years ago with the original Angry Birds. This is actually a fourth uh, birthday how we call it, 11th of December, um, as, as a single mobile game, is now really an entertainment company. And you can see it from the hoodies, and the toads, and the consumer products, and the video and animation, what well, we saw just there as well. So it's a lot more than just about the game. But today, we're more talking about the game, of course.
1: Yeah, I guess so we should, should point out that, um, unlike most games companies, all that animation is done in-house at Rovio. So you guys, kind of, a long time ago, now bought a finished company, and they do all your animations, and you have your, your tunes kind of channel and animated movie and all the kind of other stuff you're doing as well?
3: Well, most of the stuff is ton- done internally. But some of it we outsource. Same thing with the game as well. Like, we've worked with a great partner, Exient, uh here, here in the UK at Oxford with Angry Birds Go as well. So um, pretty much from the start, Rovi has always worked with external developers as well, whether it's games or whether it's animation. So we don't do everything alone, but we have all the in-house capabilities. But we do so many things that we always need help from great partners.
1: I think it's always funny when a company like Rovio, who has 800 people, still can't do everything internally. I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it happens. You're all very busy, though. So let, let's let's talk a bit about um, Angry Birds Go. So um, I guess this is kind of more more your line, kind of meek. So it's a, it's a, a downhill racer. That's kind of what, what we're calling it. So what I mean, what's the thinking behind that? Obviously, we've there's seven Angry Birds games out there. They've all kind of been different theme, but kind of the same gameplay. So how kind of radical is it a decision to go? We've done slingshot games. We're gonna do a, a kart racer.
0: Yeah, um, we set out to do something really ambitious and cool uh, with the brand, and we wanted to take the characters that everyone's everyone loves, and there's so much so much depth into them uh, in them to another type of game. And, and uh, uh, well, we started to look what could be a cool cool concept and and. Uh, kind of like, we once we came up with the concept of kart racer, we are like, okay, how can we make this really cool and fun? And, and, and we came up with the downhill uh, concept. So that, that's kind of the, where we started from. Uh,
1: let me just interrupt you there. Um, so you've got karts and you've got racing. There's been a few games over the years um, involving karts and racing. Um, some of them involving um, Italian plumbers. Um, but you, you've, you've taken a pretty different approach. So obviously we've all played Mario Kart. We've all kind of done track-based racing um, so, I mean, was it because Mario is so well-known, you thought we'll do something different, or, I mean, what was the thinking exactly behind that? Uh, I just think that it works so well on a mobile
0: device that we have it as a downhill. There, no, there's no need for, like, more complicated controls. You can steer it very easily. It works very well on the devices uh, out there. And, and, well, and also the length of the races, they work as kind of like bite-sized entertainment. You can do one race while waiting on a bus or while being on a bus. So that's kind of the thinking where we started to develop the downhill concept.
1: I think that's something, if you talk to mobile developers, that's something that kind of, they all talk about. this kind of idea of kind of bite-sized entertainment. So the, the session lengths, I mean, what kind of time do you look, you know, what's the longest kind of session or the longest kind of race? Is it a couple of minutes?
0: Yeah, it's a like a couple of minutes. You start out from about 30 seconds, but once you get further in the game, you, you will have like longer, longer, and longer races. But uh, still, the longest races are even like a few minutes long. So, but we, of course, you can do many of those um, within one session as well.
1: Okay, so we've been talked a bit about the background of the game. Should we? It's probably a good time to. If you guys going to do a demo? So
0: yeah, Angry Birds Go. Um, we're in the main menus here, and obviously we have the tunes TV here as well. Um, but let's hit play and. Um, we set up the game in in uh, four different types of episodes, and each one of them have they are like unique kind of tracks and unique kind of gameplay. Uh, let's hit Seed Bay first. It's the first one. So, um, so,
1: just re- so you've actually kind of progressed a bit through this game. So, yeah, do you maybe want to true. explain a bit kind of for people who are kind of playing it for the first time exactly, because they wouldn't yeah. they won't have this kind of tricked out car.
0: That's true. So this is actually Yami's device. So Yami has played it uh, quite a while actually already. Only a couple you, days. Good job. Good job. Um, so Yami has played through the first episode and he's just um, start, start starting on the second episode here. So And he, he has some cool stuff here coming up still. Um, but let's let's go to the first episode first. And um, this is kind of the main hub of the game inside of all the episodes. Uh, so you have your card there. You have your current racer there. And you have Mechanic Pick here. Um, and you can tap actually Mechanic Pick and he'll tell you cool hints. Uh, but basically you can upgrade your card here. And then we have a showroom where you can uh, shield, see other kind of cards that you can buy. Um, let's go with this one, though, because Yam has already upgraded a little bit. And then, then we have a character selection up here. So all the other different characters are here, and you can select them as racers. But let's go with red first. So let's hit forward and go to the first race here and hit go. So... Um, We've kind of like created a lot of variety with different kind of game modes in all of the tracks. Um, so we have uh, Race, we have Time Attack, and we have Full trust, and then we have Versus Mode. And this is now a Race, where you're racing um, against other birds slingshot. and pigs. And that's the slingshot. Here we go. Estella used an ability already. Um, she's, uh, she has the bubble ability. And now I was just like spun out by bomb there. Um, and, and this is kind of the way we've structured the game as well. All of the characters are. Um, they have their own tracks, and they have like. They're like boss fights there. And once you beat them, you actually unlock them as characters. And then you, then you start seeing them uh, inside the races as well, as an opponent. So it constantly kind of like adds more depth into the game. The further your progress, the more depth you have in the races as well. And it gives you like kind of a like good reason to go back and do the previous races and fruit modes and, and so on as well once you've like unlocked the next characters. And uh, we have this challenge mode up here as well, uh, but that's, that's like end game content. Once you, once you progress through the events, you can start do challenges there to improve your score. And um, three stars.
3: Do you want to show the telepods? Uh, how we bridge kind of physical and digital yep. worlds together um, in our games. Well, we started with the Angry Star Wars originally and are doing with Angry Go as well. So you have some telepods there down on the floor. So what the telepods are enabled to do is that you can actually buy those physical toys and then you can scan them in to, um, into the game like Mika is doing right here. So putting in, uh, them on top of the camera uh, on the teleport podium and it scans them in and you get them right into the game and then you get to race with that. And
0: that's, that's exactly the same card that I had here in my hand. So now, now you have the uh, digital representation of the toy right there in the game. And we can start racing with it. And since we haven't progressed into this episode yet, you won't see all the game modes when you use the Telepod in here. But we're now actually getting a sneak peek of the upcoming content using the Telepod uh, in, in, in a form of versus mode. And let's hit go.
3: But if you would have progressed there, you could use that uh, same card in all the races, yes. just as you wanted. Yes.
0: Okay, we're racing against Terence here.
3: So you can't talk now? The stunt
0: uh, track yeah, is too yeah, hard for to focus, yes.
3: <laughs> so
0: yeah. obviously the later tracks, um, uh, they're getting much faster and much longer. Um, this is actually one of my favorites. There's a lot of like um, ramps, and there's even—well, I won't—I won't spoil it. You'll, you'll see it soon. Here we go, big jump. Let's use our ability here. Bam! Um, so all of the different birds and pigs also have their unique characters. Uh, sorry, unique abilities. Uh, for Red, it's a boost. Uh, for Bomb, it's obviously like explodes, and he can span out. Well, here we go. hoo bee It's my favorite part of the track. Sorry, I got distracted. (laughs) So yeah, um, for Bomb, he explodes. Um, King Pig, he uses those balloons you actually saw in the trailer as well. He's kind of cheating a bit and and so on. Um, I won't tell all of the abilities. You'll have to wait and (laughs) play and wait and see. See if I can not crash too much. (laughs) So this is is one of the longest track as well because, um, well, it's very end game already. Here we go, number one, made it.
3: Did you get three stars this time Let, as well? Let's see. Let's
0: see. Ah, only one. Yeah. Too bad. Yeah.
3: <laughs>
0: really, really excited about this game, and and um, and I think it's a good sign when you when you developed it for, for yourself, like for a long time already, and I still can't put it down. Um, every morning when I wake
1: up, I pick up the device and play a couple of races, so <laughs> it's really excited about it. So, I mean, I guess uh, it's the first time you've, you've made a, an Angry Birds game that's not about um, kind of the trajectory, but it's also, um, I mean, I, hopefully it's not going to be kind of too industry for you here, but it's, the, it's your first free-to-play game, so that's kind of the, been the big shift that's hap- happened to, I mean, throughout games, but certainly for mobile games over the last kind of 18 months, kind of uh, year. The games basically now you download them for free, you can play them for free, but there's certain kind of um kind of things you can either kind of play through and unlock and earn, or if you want to kind of spend some money, you can kind of spend money t- to get those things quicker. Um so it's your first game that does that. I mean you've had in app purchases for most of your games, but they've pretty much they've all been kind of paid games before. So can you talk a little bit about how you've kind of approached um doing free to play? Because obviously there's there has been some kind of controversy about um, whether people are spending too much money or whether you kind of game developers are a lot like locking things away so you have to pay what's the what's the Rovio approach to free to play
0: yeah so our approach is definitely uh, approaching it from a point of view that we provide amazing experience for the players that want to play it for free um, and so that's that's really been like in the core of our design of the game constantly all throughout the development and and uh, that's what we are also iterating as well that if there's something that we see that okay it doesn't work that well we'll of course address and change that um, but we we want to kind of provide a really good uh, experience and value propositions for the players that, that want to play it for free and if you, if you do want to spend some money to enjoy it even more that's fine as well but it's the, the core is that we provide amazing
3: experience for the free players. We have a couple of core values, how we kind of uh, think about providing entertainment overall, and especially games, is that we always want to delight the fan. And the way we kind of think about it in free-to-play is that it needs to be the best time you've ever spent. And if you want to pay for something, it needs to be the best money you've ever spent. So you need to feel like you wanted to do that. It was actually something awesome that you wanted to get in the game.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I play a lot of free-to-play games. And I think it's interesting that sometimes for the game, you actually I quite enjoy grinding. I, I could spend money, but I actually just quite enjoy earning stuff even though it takes me more time. And for some games, you just kind of go, oh, I really want that thing quite quickly. I think it can depend very much on the game, obviously the individual as well. I mean. Can you quickly, Mika, um, just kind of, because um, there's a few mechanics here. So obviously, in the top uh, left-hand corner here, you have got that plus sign. So that's yeah. the. Do you want to quickly explain the kind of the the currencies you got? Like a yeah, what they say a soft currency and yes. a hard currency. So yeah, so
0: we have uh, bird coins as a soft currency. Um, that's the currency that you get a lot constantly when you play the game. Yeah, uh, you might have seen there that I was picking up the coins while I was racing, and and I got them as a reward as well. And you actually get some if you, even if you. Kind of fail the race, um, and that you can use to upgrade your card uh, to make it better in order to progress in the in the game, and 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 then we have gems, um, which you can also get from the game. They occasionally pop up in the the tracks. Um, it's actually. Interesting to see like what players do in that situation. Like you know, everyone is
1: always like, "Oh, there's a gem! Let's go to, for I have it!" I say, I've been playing it. As soon as yeah. I see a gem, I just drive straight towards yeah. it.
3: <laughs> yeah. Does it always make make the right decision for you for that track? No, because then sometimes I
1: lose. Yeah. But uh, yeah, <laughs> it, it's
0: it's those kind of interesting decisions that we wanted to drive with that as well. Uh, so with gems, you can uh, you can purchase extra abilities. So you might have seen that I, w- I was using my uh, Red Bird ability there for uh, for free per, once per race, but you can use up to five uh, if if you've purchased them with gem- gems. Um, or you can actually convert them to coins as well to upgrade even faster. So, so those are the different currencies we have.
1: I have to say that there's another kind of nice touch that I think you've done that I've not seen in other games kind of yet. So you have you have um, energy as a, a kind of um, a mechanic. So in the top I guess right hand corner, if you guys can see there, there's there's the um, is it f- f- five? But you have kind of five five sessions for the, for that character. But if you go up, you have as you unlock characters. You, each of them has their own energy bar, so effectively yes. you have, every time you unlock a character, you gain another energy bar. So, I mean, how, what was the thinking behind that? Did you, was that, did you yeah. see that from other games, or was that something you guys just kind of thought, oh, that's a really Angry Birds thing to do? Um,
0: this is, was a unique idea from the team. I've, I've never seen a game do this before, and our, our thinking was completely different, actually, here than with the other energy mechanics. We, we wanted to kind of, like, um, encourage players to play with all of the birds, to explore their abilities uh, and find different ways of beating different game modes with different birds and so on. So we were like, um, uh, approaching it from that angle rather than just like, limiting the play session. Uh, and, and, and this also, once you unlock more and more birds, you, know, the, you will have like, longer and more and more to play with. So um, I really like the system and I, it, I think it feels quite right. And I, I, but the main driver behind it was just like, gameplay. That we wanted to players to like explore and find the different birds for different races, which works best for which game mode, and so on.
3: And really offer another kind of tactical or strategic layer of
1: choice for the players that yeah.
3: is going to allow them to
1: enjoy more. Yeah. Good. Okay. So, um, so Angry Birds goes release released now. So, um, so you're off on holiday, are you, for the rest of the year? So it's all done now, is it? What, no, not so yet. What's the, what's, the, what, what's the plan? How, how, how does it work? Because it used to be once you released the game, you made it for PlayStation, it went in game, went in. GameStop or wherever the retailer was, and then all the developers went away on holiday for like a month.
0: Yeah, not us. Um, these are games as services. All, all Robio games are, and, and um, we're, we're kind of we're already working on some really cool stuff for the upcoming updates, and, and, um, and we are going to add multiplayer aspects to the game as well. So that, that's, um, that's already in the pipeline. So there will be a lot of cool stuff coming to the game for free.
1: Good. Uh, so it was, it was good to hear hear, hear what's happening there. So um, maybe going back to you kind of now, uh, Jammy, talking about the whole kind of Robio. So you have, I think it's seven Angry Birds. Is this the eighth Angry Birds game? or yeah, seven? this is the eighth Angry Birds, okay. Birds game on mobile. So that's a lot of games. I mean, you have, I guess, a few hundred developers working on that. But I mean, how do you, as someone who's kind of overseeing that, I mean, how do you kind of manage those teams? I mean, that's quite a lot of people. And... As, as Mika said, there's kind of updates going live all the time, and you have to kind of you're still supporting the first game. I mean, how how do you just kind of handle that and kind of make sure everything's working sure. properly?
3: Well, of course, we got different different departments, and we're broken into a kind of studio network. So we got four different studios, or. Um, um, uh, three in Finland and and one in Stockholm Our internal studios and then our external partners and we've got different people looking at uh, products or games that are in very early stages like ideation and concepting and pre-production and production is then um, kind of a different part of the organization who's really looking into that and now in the world of free-to-play it doesn't end there so the live operations the live service aspect updating the game continues still with the same team but then some of our games have shifted between teams Uh, it's very hard to keep um, the same people for four years working on the same game, you need to kind of switch horses every once in a while to keep the ideas fresh and, and let people work on something else. So we kind of take turns and manage it uh, actively, that who works on what, so that we keep their uh, developers' minds fresh and, and can deliver the greatest possible content that we can.
1: So, Rovio and Angry Birds are kind of synonymous, Kind of, there's not kind of one without the other. You've not, you're not You've released one non Angry Birds game, it, kind of since Angry Birds got big, but that was kind of a remake of um, of someone else's game. In 2014, do we, would we ex- Can you say anything about whether you'd make non Angry Birds games or now you've made the first cart cutting game for Angry Birds? Could Angry Birds do other things? Or, is there what, any anything you can? Kind what of, uh, what I
3: can say for sure s- in 2014? Any secrets, basically, I'm asking. No, I can't reveal <laughs> any secrets, even though we're we're between friends here. But um, 2014, we're going to see a more balanced diet of birds and pigs and more, or chicken, pork, and vegetarian, if you will. So we will be taking uh, the the birds and the pigs to different uh, gameplay patterns, different genres, different places. Still true to the brand and the same characters, maybe some new introductions. We are actually working really hard on completely new stuff as well. But I can't promise it's going to happen in 14 because we're not building these things for 100 days but for hundreds of years. So we're in no rush to to bring completely new stuff out to the market. We want to make sure that it's absolutely the right thing to do uh, before we commit to any any street dates in front of friends uh, to the new things.
1: Um, and I guess something that's kind of a bit of a halfway house is this year you kind of announced this Rovio Stars which I don't know if people see but that's kind of Rovio's kind of publishing arm. So that's you go out and kind of look for kind of cool games that completely separate companies are making and then publish them so i mean obviously you've got enormously successful games internally why why what's the advantage of of publishing why would you kind of spend some of your resources publishing other, you know, other people's games, publicizing other people's games? Well,
3: we wouldn't be here ourselves either m- without having a publisher at one point. You know, um, We were a developer at some point as well and then then moved up the ladder and, and grew over the years, over the success of Angry Birds. So we want to g- give something back to the developer community as well and there are a lot of great games out there so we want to really kind of selectively um, get a couple of great games out there and help publish them and, and get the traction and, and them to get their limelight with our cross-promotional leverage, our fan base that we have, et cetera. And with Angry Birds and, and all the kind of effort that it takes to do all the things that we want to do with that and some of the new stuff that we're working um, there are some gameplay genres that we just don't have time to get ourselves. So it's great to find great developers who have great games and be able to help them together to make get
1: those games out to the market in a bigger way. Because I, I guess with Angry Birds you've done like a racing game, but it's kind of hard, I don't know if you can answer this question, it's kind of hard to see Angry Birds Shooter. I mean, could there be an Angry... Obviously, you could make an Angry Birds Shooter, it's kind of possible, but that kind of thing probably wouldn't fit within... The kind of, ang- we call it Angry Birds Universe, or the, kind of, how would how you describe it?
3: Yeah, Angry Birds Universe or Angry Birds Franchise. I mean, never say never, but, you know, FPS seems a pretty much a big stretch right now for the brand. I mean, Angry Birds is fairly a four-quadrant brand. I mean, all the way from the 99-year-olds to kids alike, and males and females, et cetera, so... so when you say four-quadrants, you mean all ages and all... Yeah, old, all, young, yeah. male, female, four-quadrants, like that. But... You know, never say never, but there are a lot more obvious things where the brand really can show its power and, and, and provide some very delightful experiences for for um, kind of a subset of our huge fan base that we have. You know, uh, kind of casual racing, or soapbox derby, or whatever you want to call it, is one of those. And there are some other obvious ones that we're already working on that you will see um, you know, come next year.
1: So with this kind of concept, this four quadrant, game developers love to talk these kind of like technical things and make up things, four quadrants. Is, is, um, is Angry Birds Go? Is that, how many quadrants is that? And What's your answer, Vika, to that?
0: Um, I think we're educating some people here like into the casual racing um, genre. So we're hoping to get four, four quadrant. Maybe in the beginning we aren't because the players haven't played some of the quadrants, quadrants these types of games. But hopefully this will turn a lot of
1: players into card racing fans as well. So, so I guess you're thinking initially it's going to be more kind of Teenage, kind of male, kind of audience. I guess that would be what we would think.
0: I think there's a lot of female fans as well. Um, I, I have, I have like quite a lot of gamer uh, female friends that are big Mario Kart fans as well. So I think that they will love this type of game. And and obviously there are some like uh, characters in the in the franchise that like Matilda and Stella for even like younger girls. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. I, I think I think it has like a lot of potential to attract a lot of different players uh, from all of those groups.
3: Four years ago, you wouldn't have thought that there's going to be two billion downloads of a physics puzzler either. So a lot of people have been educated more in different genres of games. And I think that there's more and more people nowadays ready for more and more different types of games than just their usual cup-button team.
1: Yeah, it's, and it, kind of when you, had the, um, when you were playing the game, you, I mean, it's something that a lot of games use now. But you kind of had your score and then your kind of friend scores as well. So it, kind of... Obviously, kind of Facebook's massive now, and Twitter, and all these kind of game center things like that. How do you integrate those into the game? What's the, you know, because they're pretty powerful in terms of if I'm playing a game, and then someone who doesn't really know about games might get an invite from me or that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, so you can invite other players. Um, we're using Facebook right now, but of course we're looking into other uh, social uh, networks as well, and and. Um, well, the social leaderboards, I think it's much, a little bit more kind of core gamer mechanic. Um, at least it works very well within the studio, so we're constantly, constantly battling with the scores. Uh, like Every morning when I wake up, I'm checking who's ahead of me, and then I just need to beat their score. So um, I think it works very well for certain type of players. Um, some players just want to progress through the game and unlock all the characters or upgrade their cards. So there's a lot of different things in the game that will appeal
1: to different kind of players. Um, and, and That's great. OK, so we're kind of coming to the end of my question, so kind of start thinking about your questions. But um, I guess there's probably some people in the audience kind of would quite like to make games for a living. And I guess you guys have careers making games. So. It, what kind of advice would you kind of give to people who are kind of interested in making games? And what I mean, obviously now it's a proper career. There's lots of different types of kind of skill sets, lots of different kind of roles. What kind of advice would you give people who are kind of interested in that line of work? At least
3: for me, how it started was just really start making games, even if before you have any kind of a position or any kind of uh, opportunity at an actual company. Whether it's you know modding or demoing or just coding or doing art or designing levels or you know, writing concepts, whatever is your discipline and where, where, you, where you're good at. Or just do mock reviews of games and breakdown games and stuff like that. Really just start doing it before you have any kind of a, you know, job in a in a company or anything. Because sooner or later you'll just figure out that actually all the work that you've been just toying around on your own free time actually is quite valuable whenever you start to look for your entry-level position. And of course, you know, if you um, happen to live in a, in a, in a city or a country where you can actually get some kind of formal schooling, uh, that goes into games. That's great, or engineering, or art, for that matter, as well. So, I don't think there's no kind of silver bullet. You just need to start working towards that through education and and training yourself.
0: Yeah, and I think a big part of that is actually just playing other games as well, and and that's the fun part. You you you're kind of constantly educating yourself when you are playing other games out there, and. Um, I, I I often um, need to remind my parents now that, look, I, that actually was useful, what I did when I was a teenager, like playing a lot of games. I get to use that every day at work, so Great. Does she
3: believe you now? Because my grandmother doesn't, that I'm actually <laughs> yeah. working. I, I think she does now, yeah.
1: I mean, it's always sometimes a bit dangerous to ask, but I mean, how did you guys get into the industry? Did you go kind of through kind of a school program, or did you guys... Just got to hack around on stuff. Uh, yeah, uh, I
0: was making games at home first. And, and um, all of my projects at school, uh, like coding projects and university projects, were about games. i am um, just always be fascinated about them. And um, then I applied at Provio uh, 2010 spring and got in as a
3: programmer and I worked my way up from there. Pretty similar. I started coding as well when I was like 12 or 13. But I wasn't a very good programmer still. I went to engineering school and did some games as, as projects there as well. and. Uh, I was young and I needed the money, so I went into television, but went back to games, uh, fortunately, after that, where when I was working in TV as a producer for a while.
1: Good. Okay. So, th- those are some of my questions. I guess you guys probably got things you want to ask them.
3: Uh, hi, hi, guys. Um, hi. Oh, thanks for being here. Uh, my question is, with so many
0: offices and, like, you know, almost a thousand people working across everything, how do you think... especially the artists and creative people, keep this consistency and make everything look as the Angry Birds universe across several games, you know, videos, even
3: external partners. You know, do you have this kind of like initiation process where everyone, you you know, gets this idea of what they have to do? You know, can you explain a bit more about that process? Sure. So um, we don't have a big initiation ritual or anything like that that's uh, going to teach everybody how to draw anger birds or anything like that. But we do have people looking after uh, the brand values and the the kind of brand guidelines, style guides, et cetera, and all of that. And we have, you know, brand Bibles and a lot of visual, you know, style guides about all the different characters. And not just visual, about their characteristics and um, who they resemble or their kind of normal emotions and all those kinds of things and expression sheets all the different birds and pigs and different kinds of rigs that can be reused in 3D models and stuff like that. So it's just consistency through hard work so that you build the uh, systems and the organization, the processes and the materials that allow even external parties to actually work in a consistent way, kind of staying on brand or staying on style. But, you know, with Danglebirds Go, uh, we actually went 3D uh, first time in our games. So we are completely trying to... uh, Kind of all, um, all the time trying to see that is the style that we have the right one or should we evolve our style or have different styles for different types of entertainment or or, or, or games for that matter.
0: Yeah, and I think big part of it is just like um, communication, just um, be very efficient about that. Um, and, and also that I feel that we have so many passionate people working at Rovi and all the different departments that everyone just cares so much about the characters and that they look great and whatever we do, like uh, whether it's plus or books or uh, animation or games. So that kind of just like, drives the communication between the departments and, and then ensures that the quality of the end products are great.
1: I guess it's kind of an interesting point that I don't know if the merchandising, you've done so much kind of merchandising, which is obviously 3D. That's kind of helped kind of set the scene for what a three, the 3D kind of world would be like because you've, you've kind of done all that already with merchandising partners.
3: That's true in the physical world. Of course, we have a lot of 3D products, but they're still, you know, mostly based on the kind of 2D flat look and feel uh, where those are kind of driving from. But, the, yeah, we have a lot of 3D models from our characters, et cetera, just for that matter, so that we can use different, different poses and different stuff.
1: I guess it's also talking about the merchandising, which I think is something you guys have done particularly well. It's, I was kind of hadn't really realised that you've you published so many books. You've published over a hundred books of different kind of Angry Birds type style things and uh, and I guess a lot of people maybe know now there's like an Angry Birds theme park in Finland, but now they're kind of being exported around the world now and you guys are getting in, into education and all manner of crazy things.
3: Yeah, there are kind of three main areas that Rovio has always been interested in, the three E's, as we call them. Entertainment, the first one. Education, the second one. And, and entrepreneurship, the third one. So, of course, we started from entertainment, but education has been actually something we worked on for many years already. And entrepreneurship, we do a lot of new business venturing ourselves. That's where the theme parks and the soda, et cetera, has kind of started from. And then they kind of turn into, into consumer and licensing businesses themselves.
1: Cool. Good. Good. Anyone else? Oh, there's a man down at the front. If you can pass the mic along, thank you. Hi. Uh, um. Once you created your first uh, app, what was the few major steps that you took to getting it out to the masses? Like the few major steps that you know. To... Yeah. So is it from the first Angry Birds game? Yeah. Because I have to say I'll quickly say something here because I kind of remember this because. Um, if it came out a year, uh, four years ago, didn't it? And it kind of, uh, I don't know if it's polite to say this, but for the first couple of months, it wasn't very successful, was it, really? It's kind of, am I allowed to say that? It's, Jamie's looking a bit, bit, bit nervous at me. Um, yeah. So, so the, the game came out, it, remember it took about six months before it really took off, didn't it? Or like um, four
3: months. It was months, right February, March, when it really started to take off. Yeah. And it was originally launched in December 11th, 2009.
0: Yeah, um, but I think it was also that the App Store was still kind of in growing phases at that stage. And, um, well, Im- Im- I think everyone who saw the game um, loved it immediately. It was so simple. Everyone understood the slingshot, how to use it. Um, and it was a 4Q game from the start. And, and once that when just people just got aware of the game, it just, like, slowly picked up and, and got bigger and bigger and bigger. And I still remember, but I think it was, like, around... April when we hit like US or maybe May US number one Um, so it it, like it was just word of mouth couple of more like many small things combined that got the traction and once it got up there in the charts then of course like boom it got really huge so
1: so going back to the gentleman's question it wasn't you didn't really do anything clever you didn't really do like a big marketing campaign, or I think is it just kind of word of mouth, really, that yeah, like people, people great, going, look at this cool game?
0: We did a great game. So <laughs> that that's really the, the answer to that question. It was, it, was, it was so easy to pick up, easy to understand. Uh, everyone was just enjoying the game, and, and, and also the characters were like a big
3: part of that. So... Yeah, there's no gimmick to it or anything that can make your game successful, not even for for Angry Birds originally. Of course, even from the early days, I mean, Rovio started to update the game quite frequently uh, by offering new content and was big on initial trailers already back then, which looked very different than the look and feel now actually in the art. But, you know, starting to use multiple mediums, a medium uh, already at that point in time, and really honing it for the target platform to get that kind of exposure on on App Store. So that you pick one platform first and make it great for that. For example, that's usually a good strategy to actually get something get traction more quickly.
0: That's true. The the initial trailer that Angry Birds um, was made for Angry Birds. Uh, it's still out there on YouTube. Actually, I, I I don't know how many hundred million hits it has. So uh, that was a huge success in, in in the very beginning already. So that was like kind of um, one of the key key things that got traction for the game as well.
1: I remember when we first were reviewing it, Pocket Gamer, the guy who reviewed it just loved the music so much. It was just like the thing, you know. I guess that was gets in your head, does it? Like that kind of like just kind of can't can't get it out. But I guess four years ago, the kind of the mobile games market was very different. As you say, it's kind of pretty much one app store, app store, much kind of simpler. And Angry Birds was at the right place to just kind of catch that enormous wave of. Everyone suddenly moving to smartphones, and you were kind of you were the game that everyone downloaded straight away. So good. There's another as there's a question, gentleman, there. Um, does Angry Angry Birds does it have universal appeal across all like geographies, or are there like certain countries or areas where where you st- you, you want to do better? or are still not that that familiar with the brand.
3: Yeah, it's actually quite universal. I mean, Angry Birds has worked really well, and it's very well recognized across the world. I mean, brand recognition is super high in North America, South America, uh, Western, Eastern Europe, Nordic countries, uh, Russia, and and, big big countries in Asia like China, Japan, and Korea are big markets in Asia. It's very well recognized, uh, very globally. And, you know, that's mostly, of course, through um, the game exposure. Having 2 billion downloads doesn't come from the UK alone or US alone, etc. It comes from the global footprint and the global kind of fan base that we've been able to build. So, yeah, it's very global, um, the kind of recognition and and the love for the brand.
1: It's a good question, though, Um, because it did particularly well in China. I mean, did you often, we kind of... Talk about kind of um, localization, which is kind of language, but also kind of culturalization, which is maybe changing the colours of things or there's certain, I guess, kind of cultural things that don't work in one country. I mean, did you have to make any changes, or did you? Did, well, kind of colourful birds seem to be something that's accepted everywhere. Yeah, um,
3: for China in particular, we didn't do any basic uh, culturalization in in the early days. And Angry Birds, the original Angry Birds, didn't have a a lot of text either. I mean, it was fairly iconographic and fairly straightforward. So there wasn't even a lot of localization. And Because it didn't have any in application billing or anything, there wasn't any merchandising localization that needed to be done either. So it was pretty much as is. I don't know if we even localized for many years, because there wasn't any text or anything that really mattered.
0: We had localization in there um, quite early already, but uh, like Yamis was saying, there was so little text. It was basically I don't know credits maybe.
3: The chop t- titles were localized, so I guess that's it. And that doesn't really help sell games that <laughs> job titles and credits are localized. So. Yeah.
1: But I guess it was with Angry Birds Seasons was kind of or when you started kind of doing the updates. You were quite quick to do updates for the Chinese market, weren't you? So you were kind of aware from that point of view. Yeah,
3: Seasons in particular has been really going around the world based on different kind of um, festivals and different kind of celebrations like Chinese New Year, et cetera, or Mardi Gras, or... Uh, Cinco de Mayo or something like that or Christmas updates Uh, that's been a big focus for seasons that it kind of travels around the cultures of the world and speaks to that cultural heritage or or content that's happening there and that's something that we continue to to do in the future as well uh, because it's been very successful for us as well and that gains a lot of local traction uh, and interest in our partners uh, there when we have something truly culturally localized and something that's huge in China but maybe not that well recognized in Europe, for example. So. And we have mooncake festivals that we organize in China as well in our own cakes and everything. So.
1: I have to say that's the only way I learned chi- when Chinese New Year was happening was when you do your updates, so that's good. Glad okay. to be of assistance. <laughs> okay, so we have time for two more questions. I think we have one there and a gentleman with glasses behind. We've got two more, so you'll be the last one.
2: Hi. Uh, my background is as a developer in television. And, uh, but independently of that, my family have been inventing games on a yearly basis for 20 years. So we've got all these games. How would you take a three-dimensional game and turn it into an app if you were starting from scratch with no background knowledge? I mean, I've got in other areas, but not in that. I'd love any any information on that. Would I come to you? Would I go to, you know... What would I do?
1: That's a great question. Answer that. <laughs> do you want to take it or should I? I'm still
3: thinking. <laughs> <laughs> okay. By three-dimensional game, do you mean like a board game or a physical game that you...
2: I mean, just take, you know, I don't know, like take a, a treasure hunting game. Okay. Yep. But it's it's in a three-dimensional yep. context. So it w- could be imported quite easily to an app. Yeah. But no knowledge. So. Well,
3: actually, if you can really think about it, most games... Um, are actually tied into kind of old play patterns. And by play patterns, I mean like kids' child's play patterns. You know, maybe it's tag or maybe it's build and destroy, like in in game like Angry Birds, for example, or maybe it's Dollhouse or maybe it's, you know, cops and robbers, those type of things. A lot of them actually drive their inspiration from very core, fundamental play patterns that you do in the physical world. So a game like Treasure Hunt or whatever that you play around the table it's very easy to just take the kind of core elements of that and think about how you digitize it. First, if you can build it on paper, you can always build it digitally. Kind of concepting, prototyping on paper is a great way for you to, you know, even test the user interfaces, use a deck of cards or use just paper that you draw things there yourself and think what the core elements are and what really goes well directly into uh, the digital aspect of that, and do you need to change something along the way or not? Usually you'll find that you can actually digitize everything, but not everything makes sense in the digital world.
2: So would would I come to you, or would I go to another company? I mean, who would you recommend in the publishing business for someone who's coming with a very experienced media background, maybe, but definitely not computing? Where, where am I going? Well,
3: usually in publishing programs tend to look at you know ideas that are more already in development or more uh, kind of ready concepts at least that already have a game design or a concept, et cetera. But there are like pitching competitions on the indie scene and stuff like that where you can go with a very kind of rough idea rather than just a very kind of high-level concept or an idea that you don't need to have a prototype. You don't need to have a demo. You don't need to have a team or a developer yet or anything. So I would actually maybe think first those, but at least you need to build it on paper for yourself before you can even usually communicate it to a publisher or into a pitch enter a pitch competition.
0: Yeah, there are a lot of local uh, development communities that organize these kind of pitching competitions and like game champs and so on. So if you go there with your idea, you might find a couple of uh, other people that like a programmer and an artist and you might do a prototype in one or two days uh, and, and then you can go and show so that to a developer that look, do uh, you see the potential here? So that might be uh, like, a good way to get started.
1: Thanks for coming down and, and sharing Thank some you. stuff with us. A big round of applause, please. Thank
2: you. Thank you.